listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm not Jen. No. Nope. Man, I was really waiting again for yet a different name. Well, here we are. I'm still not Jen. And I like the consistency. I think that's really important in relationships, and I'm providing you with that safety. Thank you. Actually, I do like that. So consistency is key. Yeah. And guys, it takes a village. We bring you this show weekly with our stories, tips, and expert guests to help you navigate the complicated world of dating. So help us in the podcast world by doing your part and rating our show and leaving us comments about what you think. That's right. You guys, you can find us at uh, It's Complicated Podcast on iTunes and rate and comment and tell all your friends so we can help you and them in this village of dating life that we all live in because we all know, Lord knows, we all need help, all right? It's like the blind leading the blind sometimes, but you know, safety in numbers. And I like, I'm all about safety today, I think. You are. Um, So please let us know if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, if you want to give us five stars because that's just what we love to see. Um, And it keeps the lights on for us over here. We can get some sponsors and some offers and we've got a giveaway coming up soon. So remember to tell a friend and share and rate and comment and contribute to the village. Yep. And guys, today we are contributing to the village and we've got international spiritual thought leader and author Monica Bergen to discuss how to become a change junkie and create a life of love, power, and fulfillment for ourselves and our partners. Yeah, you guys, Monica is a fresh voice that channels the powerful internal spark of light living within us all. We all need that. Monica's authentic and fearless, and she reminds us of our extraordinary potential and pushes us onward with compassion and understanding. Monica also battled and overcame a debilitating eating disorder at a young age, and as a mother of four children, one of whom has special needs, she has become an outspoken advocate for him and others struggling to find their voice. With her trademark blend of humor, insight, and honesty, Monica shows individuals how to create a life that is working, like it makes sense, and most importantly, a life in which we are living and loving the powerful, fulfilled person that we've always wanted to be. Her personal endeavors have taught her the practical wisdom of Kabbalah, and it can bring light and strength into even the most challenging experiences by changing the one thing we can control ourselves. My favorite, taking accountability. We're only in charge of ourselves, guys, and I'm sure Monica has lots to tell us. Yes. And she shares her combination of wisdom and real-life awareness with talks found compelling by a wide range of men and women at different stages in their lives, just like us. Yeah. She leads people to not only see how they can change, because change is the only constant in life, as we know, except when you're not Jen and every week you're still not Jen. And that. Right. Other than that. But inspires them to get excited about a lifestyle of change. Yes. Monica is also the author of Fear is Not an Option. You guys, that is so, that is such a true statement, I think. And serves as the chief communications officer of the Kabbalah Center International. She lives in New York with her husband, Michael, and their children, David, Joshua, Miriam, and Abigail. She barrels through change with no fear. Welcome to the show, Monica. Monica, yay! Wow, what a nice introduction. (laughs) You did it. It's all you, Monica. Yeah, you're just living that life. Yeah, and we're just reading it. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
course. So we know that you're married and you have kids and we know that you're really good at change and all of the things we just discussed. So in terms of relationships and dating, what has been your favorite part of that whole journey? Um, well, I think that relationships are hard enough. So I think that it has to be fun and too often people take it too seriously or not seriously enough. I think that the, the best part of relationships are the small moments of intimacy and laughter um, and finding opportunities in the day-to-day -to, -day to experience that and to engage is really the way you create beautiful memories and moments together as a couple. Yeah, I like that too. It's like you can just go through life and like you're busy and you're tired and you've got kids or wherever, whatever life stage you're at. And those, those moments just get like ignored or they become few and far in between. If you just carve out time to like take a moment and laugh and connect, it's very helpful. Well, isn't that how it starts, right? And that's why we decide to make this lifelong commitment and invest in the relationship. And then at some point we stop having fun, we stop investing and then we only take it really seriously when our egos are hurt or, you know, didn't you hear what I said or, you know, an argument and it's just all backwards. It's, it has to be fun. It has to be light. That's true. It does happen backwards sometimes. Like you only start focusing on those things when it's too late instead of focusing on the good while you have the room for it and you have time and you're in a good place. So then with that said, what would be your least favorite part of like the dating relationship journey? I think when couples are not vulnerable with one another, um, that word has a really bad rap because it sounds really unappealing and uncomfortable and being vulnerable can be uncomfortable, which I guess is why most people avoid it. But when you give your heart to somebody that you trust and love, it's beautiful and it's necessary, especially when it's hard, right? That's when it matters most. And that's how you create true connection, long lasting relationships. You really can't successfully be with somebody unless there's vulnerability. I'm certain of that. Okay, so you can have an okay relationship, but it's not going to be the best that it can be. Isn't that what we all want? Yeah. Right. And that's the whole point, I think, of like finding someone to be your partner and, and you being their partner is that you have this special bond. You two know things about each other that no one else knows. And you have this connection that goes deeper than other relationships, which might, why people say like somebody's their soulmate. It's because you're letting them into your soul and you're letting them into your life. So how can you have that if you don't actually allow somebody in. Exactly. And most people look at other people's relationships and say, I want that, but they actually don't stop to think, okay, how did they get there? And um, it's about being emotionally intimate. It's about knowing, you know, how you spend your days when you're not together. You're involved with their emotional well-being before you were in the picture and, and while you're in the picture and their dreams for the future. It's being that invested in your partner as you are in yourself. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. And that makes total sense in it. So when we live this life in the dating and relationship world, and there's all these stories we tell ourselves, for example, and depending on, you know, maybe what part of the country you're in or part of the world you're in, like men are supposed to be tough and not vulnerable. Some people tell themselves that story or, oh, don't, you know, a woman supposedly hard to get, or don't be so easy. Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? All these things we tell ourselves that steer us away from vulnerability. So what would you tell somebody who has a hard time letting a wall down and vulnerability sounds scary to them? How would you, what are like a couple easy tips to remind yourself that like, this is an easier way to be vulnerable. And these are the positive things that come out of that. 
Well, those examples you gave actually made my stomach hurt a little bit because I think so many people do live that way. And basically that's ego. It's complete ego and it's misinformation. I think let's start with facts. If you research, um, even if you just research how girls and boys are growing up and their relationships with their mothers, right? And, and this is science, this is not even me. Girls want to become like their mothers, even though we all say, I'll never be my mother, but that's how we are when we're little girls. And boys want to be becoming to their mother, meaning that they want their mother to be proud of them, what we think really matters. When we enter adulthood and relationships, for boys that gets transferred to their significant other. It, it really matters what their partner thinks, you know, what their wives think. What happens over time is when we stop you know, if we criticize or we don't show that we care, they stop caring because it's too hard, it's too painful. So I think that if you if you look at just facts, right, all those different kinds of things that we hear growing up, they're not true. It's based on somebody else's hurt and somebody else's experience, really. Um, I think that if you want to look at your your life and where you want to be in a relationship in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, you have to say, okay, in the best of friendships, let's start there because it's easier, or the best of any relationship, the relationship you have with your parent or your sister or sibling, there is that openness. There is that sisterhood. There's that bonding. And for that to take place, there is no room for the ego. And then the, the vulnerability comes in. So I think that the, the, the best place to start, and I think this is why it's so difficult, is you have to first be comfortable in your own skin and be comfortable with yourself. And most people miss that fundamental first step before they enter a relationship, and therefore it becomes really kind of confusing and hard to navigate once you're there. So I think first become a really good friend to yourself. Allow yourself to be seen on your own terms by yourself first. You know, look in the mirror. And even if there's things that you don't, you want to change, change it with love, change it with kindness. And then when you're in a relationship, offer that same information and receive that same information about your partner in that way, with love, with openness, with kindness, with safety. If that's the space in which you live, then everything will come from there. Sounds, yeah. that makes so much sense. Yeah. And so you mentioned the word change and, you know, we know that you are a change junkie. So when you talk about change, why is it important to change and how can someone become um, a change junkie? Well, this is the thing about change. It's inevitable. Okay. It's happening every single day in small ways for the most part and also in big ways. We I think, and I understand why, when change first happens, it's usually traumatic, right? Our first experience with change, maybe we move to a new town, our, our, our parents get a job somewhere, or maybe parents get divorced, now a child has to go back and forth between homes. They don't want any of this change to happen, and here's change. So we learn early on to kind of resist change, because it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it's painful. But you can't, you can't run away from change because change exists. So what's in your power? Your power is to direct the change. You can either grow forward or you can go backwards. You can either pay attention to the changes that are happening every day, or you can close your eyes and then suddenly be surprised one day, like, how did this happen? I never expected this. And that's going to be much more difficult to navigate. So our greatest power is the ability to, sh to shift our perspective. And in that, I mean that at any given moment, you're able to change the way you see things. And that's so powerful if you look at it that way. I mean, our brains are constantly processing data and it's usually data we're not even aware of, right? People, maybe the way they looked at us when we passed the street or we were in a gym or at a restaurant, you're constantly getting feedback about yourself, about your world. And behind how we perceive the world is our whole story. We come with our baggage, our past, all the events that molded us and influenced us. Now, unless you decide, right, 
to choose your perception of the world, you're going to be influenced and you'll continue to be influenced as you were from your childhood by your family, by your colleagues, by your loved ones, by your environment. But understanding the power of perception is the thing that can change your reality in an instant, right? So you can actually change the way you view life. You can change the way you expect things to happen or experience them. That's entirely up to you. So what's so exciting about being a change junkie is when you start to look at the world in this way, you become addicted to change. And and that is great power. I mean, I remember I was coming home once with my six-year-old and we have these plants outside and they should be green if you don't have a black thumb, (laughs) but um, they were yellow. And she was five or four at the time. She said, mommy, look, they're yellow. Like they had magically transformed to yellow now from green. And I didn't catch on fast enough to what she was saying. I said, oh yeah, they need water. They, you know, they were green. They should be green. She said, mommy, yellow is a beautiful color. That's the way that I want to live my life. That's how I want to see the world. And we have the power to do that. So, you know, I'm working on my book actually called Change Junkie. And my 16 year old daughter you know, I'm, I'm really open with my kids. We talk about a lot of ideas all the time. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm working on this new book, and uh, it's about change. And she looks at me in her teenage way, and she said, you know, I don't think that anybody's going to want to read this book. Nobody really wants to change. Nobody's interested in change. And at first, I got a little defensive. I'm like, I don't agree with you. Of course, you want to change. And then I let it sit for 24 hours, and I thought about it. In her world, of course, change doesn't make sense because she's changing all the time in very big ways. Every two years, she's going to be in a different school. Um, her body is changing every day. Her hormones, right? Everything in her reality is changing. And that continues. That will continue for the next 10 years of her life. Then you get a job and you get your career, your relationship. You get settled. And then you've now accumulated all these things that you've worked so hard to get. And then what happens? You fear that you will lose them. You don't want change. You resist change. And over time, if you keep resisting change, you grow to hate change and resent change. So I never want to be in that boat. So my proactive way is become a change junkie, become addicted to it. Yeah. And like teach people that change isn't it's not a negative thing, you know, especially like your teenage daughter and thinking about like being that age, I can remember feeling like I just want to fit in. I want to kind of not like be like everyone else, but kind of a general blanket statement. I kind of just want to be like everyone else. I don't want to like stand out as something that's bad or negative. I just want to blend in. I want to be like her or whatever. And so if you start adopting that thought process at that age, it kind of like sticks with you forever. And then you figure out with your ego how to keep telling yourself that that's what you want. And if something is different than that, your ego is like, no, 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 that's bad. And so I think ego comes into play too here, right? So like, why do we need less ego and more consciousness? And does that help this process of adopting change and and perceiving it as a good thing? Well, I I love talking about the ego because I don't think people talk about it enough. I mean, of course, we need a little bit of ego, a healthy sense of ego, but ego is so dangerous and so tricky. Ego is always right. Ego is the smartest in the room. Ego wants to be right, not proved wrong. Ego gets us in a lot of trouble, especially in relationships, by the way. You know, I always say it's either it's you, me, and the ego. You got to eliminate ego from the equation if you want to have a successful relationship. So ego says, you know, you don't really want anything to change because change is uncomfortable. Change equals bad. And, and I, and I understand, especially in our teenage years. Yeah, we all want to fit in, right? We all want to be accepted. And most of it is because we don't know who we are yet. So if you don't know who you are, it's safer to be with somebody who seems to be the most confident and be with the in crowd. And we hold on to that later. That feels really uncomfortable and 
unauthentic because it's not who you are and you start to close your own desires and dreams and that becomes really intolerable at some stage in your life. So I think this, and, and I think that we all need to get to that point at some point in our lives where, and that goes back to vulnerability, right? It's being able to be seen for who you are, no matter what, the good, the bad, not be afraid that it's going to be used against you. You can only get to that place when you start to live authentically. And how do you do that? You ask yourself different questions every day that kind of perpetuates change. Do I want to do this or do I want to do something different? Do I still believe in this thing that I believed five years ago or do I think something differently now? Do I still want to be a vegetarian or am I craving a steak? Allow yourself, give yourself permission to want, to ask, to desire, to dream, and then go after it. That is how you create change. That's how you get out of that bubble that we're all kind of come into the world in. So now in terms of like dating and relationships and like related to change, or at least being, let's just go with single people. um, We're constantly now on these apps and like trying to adjust our strategy to find success on them. So at what point is it that we need to change? We need to change our approach or do we need to not get in the way of the universe and allow for things to happen at the time that they're supposed to happen? Because I'll just give a personal example Like I always feel like I need to take matters into my own hands and I need to change and adjust because something's not working versus letting life unfold. And maybe right now is not the time for me to meet somebody or maybe it's not through apps at all. So how much of it is us changing and how much of it is also allowing what is supposed to change around us to happen? That's why I like the title of your podcast because it's complicated. It's not (laughs) black and white. Thank you. Um, So I think that, you know, I get the question so often, especially now, I think that there are more single people than ever for many reasons. I think people are pickier because there's so many options and it's at your fingertips, right? There is an app for everything. There's so many dating services. There's just, you know, so many choices that you're like, oh, I don't really need this. There's going to be a better one or another option coming around the corner. So I don't think that in the world we're living in today, it's as easy to date. But I think that I wouldn't use any of that as an excuse. I think that the number one thing, and I tell this to everybody who's looking for the one, is that you need to be the one first. So you can't change yourself to fit into the world today or society or what the norm is. Whatever it is that you crave, whoever you desire to be with, make sure you're that first yourself. Live that, be that first and foremost. The second thing is, and we touched upon it a little bit earlier, is that if you don't love yourself completely or at least start to work on those parts of yourself that you know need self-care and self-interest, then you're going to attract somebody to the place that you are currently at. But if you have this big list of somebody who's elevated and all these other things, then work hard to get there yourself for you because then you'll meet that match at that level. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I remember when I met my husband, we're going on our 22-year wedding anniversary in August. Wow, congrats. Yeah, thank you. I know that's a big deal now. I mean, we've kind of just gone through it, but we grew up together. We lived, I mean, not that we grew up together, but I'm saying all of our life experiences, all of our um, lessons and challenges and growth were in this relationship. We were very young when we got married. And, you know, the first few years, we're kind of looking at each other like, wow, you know, it's working, you know, because we had zero experience between the two of us. And, but what brought us together is something greater than ourselves. We both believe in a life of purpose, of change, of transformation. At our core, fundamentally, we have the same kind of belief system, but 
in the 1%, in the physical world, we're very, very different. Um, but where it matters, it works, right? So I remember at the time when we, I had known him for years, but when we finally kind of the sparks flew, I was in the middle of having an eating disorder. I was anorexic and I was deep in it at that time. And that was, and right before that, those years leading up to that, it was like the most painful, sad, lonely, isolating place I had ever been with, been in. You know, eating disorder is a very isolating disease. And I remember I just wanted, I craved so much to be loved because I was lacking that, right? I was lacking self-love at the time. And I remember thinking, you know what? You cannot look outward for this. If you want that, you have to create this internally first or you're never going to get out of this situation A and you're never going to meet the person you should. So I worked hard four years before the sparks flew. I work hard to really find self-love, self-care, self-interest. Wow, that's a, as you're talking about perspective. That's like a really, really deep perspective for you to be in this eating disorder and not just so consumed with the actual physicalness of it, but like to go deeper and tell yourself like, this is what it's stemming from. Because we hear that a lot with um, like anything emotional and eating disorder being one of the main ones we hear like, it's more, it's more about control or it's more about this and less about like actual food. So that is like an awesome perspective for you to have had being in the middle of that and being so probably feeling so trapped and isolated by this, this illness. Um, and, and then getting ready to meet somebody and, and start that journey. And Jen was just talking about what it's like to change or the perspective of change as a single person, but in a relationship, which is where you then made yourself available to when you met your husband, how did you continue to keep change in the forefront of the relationship without being like, I want to change you or, you know, because it can be kind of a slippery slope, right? Like you never want to get into a relationship and be like, uh, I need to change that person. But how do you keep change in like a healthy environment in a relationship? Well, I love this. Yeah, I love this question because the truth is, you know, the first few years we were married, we thought we were happy and we were happy. The big shift for us was after our second son was born um, with Down syndrome and we found out four hours after his birth. So it's a whole process and there was a lot that I learned through it. But what came from our, our, what happened with our relationship from that experience, and by the way, you should know most people who have a child born with a um a special, you know, circumstance or disability, most relationships fall apart from there because they blame one another. It becomes very stressful. For us, it was the opposite. It brought us closer than ever because it was the first time we became truly vulnerable to one another. I mean, now we had seen each other at our absolute lowest and it was something that happened to the both of us. So I think that that's, from that place, it shifted the whole relationship to become one that grows each year and we grow and grow and grow together and change together. And I think that the, the big, so, the, so vulnerability is number one. The other part is there's something called the Michelangelo phenomenon and the Golem effect. So, and I love this study. Michelangelo is where you want, you have an idea of what your partner should look like, or what they should be. And you want to, help mold them into that. This works because only if your idea of what they should be is matching what their own ideal for themselves is. So for instance, if you were, let's say um, 
your husband or a husband wants his wife to become Marilyn Monroe, but she wants to be Joan of Arc, there's going to be a big conflict there, right? But if it's matching, if the same ideal is for, as you have for your partner, as they have for themselves, that's a beautiful kind of thing. And my husband and I do have that and we practice that. We just want to help awaken what each person desires for themselves to become. But and that's a beautiful support system. How do you system. do that though? Like, let's say, sorry to interject, but if you have this ideal that you want to be this thing or whatever, and your partner has a different idea, is there a way to, is that like a, a death sentence? Like, oh, well, then it's not going to work. Is it just lucky that you and your husband's like ideas of each other matched? Or is there a way to change into these things without completely losing yourself. Like also is there a way to inspire someone else to maybe get on the same page about changing? Because, you know, if you're focused on it and somebody else isn't necessarily, are there like baby steps to like get them sort of like into the zone of wanting to change? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things. I think that if you yourself are walking the talk and you show that you are thinking about these things and you're changing and the changes for the better and they notice it, they're going to be more open to experiencing it and pursuing it themselves. Um, and it also depends on why did you go into the relationship with a person? I mean, if you went in and you had already had a desire and a hope for what they would become, which was very different than what they were showing you. I mean, you liked 80% of what you saw, but that 20% you were going to make sure that they changed, that could be a problem because maybe that's just never who they are, who they want to be, or who they desire to be. My thing is this. Let's say, for instance, you're with somebody and you love that they have a great sense of humor and they're charismatic, and but you're the only one that sees that, right? They're painfully shy in public settings, but to you, they're this great thing. Now, you want them to be able to do that in public and they also want to be able to do that in public. So you support that, right? They have to match. If you don't like certain aspects, I mean, and it really depends what it is. Is it something that is superficial? Is it something that's really important? Um, and it's through conversation and it's through consciousness, but that's where everything starts. The yeah. thing is the person has to have desire. You can't have desire for somebody else. You just can't. I mean, that has to be the number one. A person has to have at least an opening or a desire to want something more, or to, to want change, or to want to be a little bit different. Some people think they want to stay exactly the same, but that's when your own example will help. But so then what if they don't want to change, but like you, you want to stay with them? Like, how do you work that out if there's a disconnect between like, I remember being in a relationship and wanting better for the person. And I was like, why don't you use your expertise to become like an expert fitness person on TV? Or like, I don't know, um, create musical playlists so that your, your people you train like rely on you for their sense of music. Like you're curating music now. You have all these other like abilities that you're not really putting into practice. And like there was total resistance from his end. A, I don't know why, like just didn't like my ideas or didn't want it for himself or just whatever the reason was, wasn't driven maybe at the time. So like, does that mean the relationship is doomed if one person sees the ability to change and wants the ability to change and the other person wants to remain the same? No, I'm happy you're asking this question. It's not doomed, but you're, you might not get the outcome that you want. So, you know, this is, and I, I had a friend also who I saw so much potential in her and she could do this and that. And I was like listing all the things to my husband. I'm like, I don't understand why she's not pursuing it. She's so talented. And we were talking about it. And the thing is, you can't, again, you can't have desire for somebody else. The fact that I see that she could be these great things but she doesn't want to. Well, it's not my responsibility or my job 
to do it. Make sure you're doing that for yourself, right? What is it that you desire and go after that? Now you could have still a very successful relationship, but it means that you're going to have to let go of your hopes for him. Now, if your hopes are now somehow attached to your happiness with them because you'd be proud if he was X, Y, and Z. That's see what I'm saying. It gets complicated and it depends on why you want that for him. Is it because it would make you feel better about him or you'd be more attracted to seem as more powerful or because you simply want the best for him and you see it and you see he could be great at it, but he doesn't desire it. You still can't force it, but it's a good way to check yourself of why you want that change to occur. Yeah, I think and that'll be very telling. Yeah, I think a good way, it is complicated. You're right. It's very layered, but I think a helpful thing to think is like, why do you have these wants and desires? And is it, you're not trying to change somebody, but if you're noticing a lack of desire, what does that mean to you? Is that okay? Is that something you can accept? Or is that something that's like a deal breaker for you and, and dig deeper than just the thing, the surface level level thing? A thousand percent, because then let's say he doesn't have desire and then he could make more money, but he's going to make less, but he doesn't have a desire to have a lot of money because he doesn't really want a big house and he doesn't want to travel. But you want all of those things, right? So you have to check your agenda and where you're coming from. It is a very good way to see what you like about the relationship and if it's something you want for the long term. Yeah, that is uh, very insightful. And again, like everyone should be constantly asking themselves the deeper questions and and trying to come upon like, you know, the change that could potentially be there. You can't get there unless you're continuing to ask yourself questions. I think sometimes people just live on the surface and that, that is a little scary. Totally. But I I think also if you're a deeper person, it's hard to be with somebody who lives on the surface to like that, or maybe when you're just older and you, you, you have certain priorities and things like that. If you meet at an older point in your life and then you evaluate the person and where they're coming from, you probably weed people out differently when you are your whole self and you do love yourself and you are a change junkie. Like I, I know that I even put in my profile for dating apps, like somebody that's uh, emotionally intelligent or like, I don't even remember what else I put, but basically saying like, I want somebody that's like open-minded and like always growing in different words, but it hopefully will weed out the people that are not that way. And do you think, Jen, that that came with age for you? Because I feel like I, we talking about age and Monica, you mentioned you met your husband very young and it worked for you. But do you, I think we here, and it's complicated, think that like dating at an older age or looking for someone at an older age is we found comparatively to our 20s and our, our priorities and perspectives, we found that like our older age is helpful for us and we feel better about ourselves and all of the things that you talked about loving yourself and being the one for yourself like that came to us at that time in our lives so do you think that that's good advice or that it comes with age to wait like we feel like it should be illegal to get married before you're 30 (laughs) (laughs) you know I, i i hear what you're saying and i think we're saying the same thing mostly I don't think it's necessarily age. I think it's consciousness. I think people get to a a more expansive consciousness later. Hence, they're better set up and equipped to be in a relationship. But I think that can happen earlier depending on where you spend your time and energy and invest your thoughts. Um, Because I've seen other people who get married much later who are on their second or third marriage or let's say a partner gets ill and now they're in their 70s. And they're just as lost as people who I sometimes see in their 20s because they never did the fundamental first step of, you know, who are you? Are you authentic? Can you be vulnerable with yourself? Right. And that can happen at any age. Um, yeah. 
So I, I think that you do, you want to get to that place. And yes, it naturally happens for people a little bit later in life, but it doesn't have to. You can fast forward that. And I hope that all your viewers, young and old, you know, it's an important thing to do at any age. Well, now there's so many tools out there too. This podcast being one, like you have a book and like, there's just so many more things that are, are at the tip of our fingers, basically in our cell phones that we have access to, to help us grow and become these things. If you even have the interest to like, I remember it took a breakup or something for me to even start reading books because I was like, someone gave me a book and it was like, it's called a breakup because it's broken. And then I went on to read like the four agreements and I went on to read the next thing and the next thing and the languages of love. And I think if you're younger and you start to find these things, then that help us become spiritual or open up or vulnerable or learn about ourselves sooner, then it makes sense. Like you're saying, it can happen at any age. It's just sort of like what presents themselves to us because you could also go through life being quite immature and not trying to better yourself until you're 60. No matter how old you are. Yeah. I think it's a sign of the times too. I think that we are in a area of the world where we are more enlightened. Like people are having these kind of conversations now where back in the eighties and nineties, like nobody talked about this shit, you know, like, I mean, they may have, it just wasn't as common. It's becoming more of a normal practice to talk about things like this and to ask yourself um, deeper questions and to self love and self help and all those buzzwords you hear, but really it's becoming a little bit more, I hate to say trendy and popular. So it's also that too. I think now is a good time to be sort of exploring these deeper thoughts. Well, I think the emphasis before was on, you know, people thought that things would bring them happy, stability, money, right? And I think that that's obviously flawed and that the ultimate currency in life is happiness and the things we think will bring us happiness are not, right? So now people are back to going deeper and exploration, self-exploration. Um, you know, and it comes down to belief systems also. I mean, a person in their 30s can still believe they're undeserving of love. In fact, they might be more desperate because they're 39 and they're worried. About, you know, I mean, so it's, there, there's so many factors. It's, it really just comes down to making yourself a priority in the very most important sense of that word, which is soul, right? You have to invest in, in you and your growth. Absolutely. And so now you wrote a book or called Fear is Not an Option. So if we're working on our soul and we're trying to get to this place where we want to become our personal best, why is fear not an option? How does it get in the way? Well, fear, I I identify three different types of my book. Um, But the one fear that really gets in our way is illogical fear. And that's the one I want everybody to eradicate. It's the thing that keeps us frantic, panicked, worried. Um, We're afraid of failure, rejection, public speaking. I mean, you name it. And it gets in the way of us are living our best lives all the time. So if I were to ask you, you know, what is the biggest thing that fear steals from you? What would come to your mind? Happiness. That's okay. like, it's like, I, I have everything you just said is me. Like I'm an anxious person and it's because of irrational fear. And it's like, I just feel like if I wasn't worried about this thing, then I could do this thing and it, I would be happier. Like I know I have potential, but fear gets in my way. Right. So that's why I called the book fear is not an option because when it's not an option and you decide that it's no longer an option, then you need to find a new option, which is again, very empowering. Yeah. Um, and with the logical fear, you know, the, the fastest way to eradicate that is that you ask yourself this question. 
question, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And then you make sure you do that immediately, immediate action, and you follow that with repetition. And even though, you know, you feel scary, scared, you're having a physiological reaction to it, knowing it's not real and that it's, it's taking away your greatest possession, which is your potential, your potential to have everything that you desire, everything that you want, fear is stealing that. Now, if you look at it that way, and then you fast forward, okay, if I allow fear to steal from me again tomorrow, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, what does my reality look like? What life will I be living? And then at that point, what options will I have to, to create what I desire? And then yeah. there's no time just obvious, right? I mean, and I think we give so much weight to our fears. We feed it, we give it energy, we take it seriously. And my God, I feel this way. Forget all of that. Give energy to the other thing that you want, which is your purpose, your passion, whatever it is. Think about that. Every time fear sets in and you feel consumed by it, instead of even entertaining that and saying, oh, I don't like the way, ignore it. Say, okay, you know, I know you're there. I'm not going to give you any energy. And now look the other way and go towards the thing that really inspires you. That is seriously, it makes so much sense, is so helpful. It's already ringing true for me. Um, and it can, you know, it manifests itself in so many different ways in people's lives. Relationships are very scary, um, but just anything, your goals, dreams, work, anything like that. And in terms of like this show, I know that we talk often about like being single and, and well, I think like Lauren's a good example of like being single and then finding somebody. But like, there are plenty of people, including myself, that are, feel like, I fear that I will end up alone or that I will be for the next 10 years and not know how to change that. Or that like, because I, it's something that's like a real challenging thing with like no real, um, I don't know. There's like not a career path for it. It's just like finding love when it happens. So it's pretty scary. But that's, that's such an illusion career path. You know, you can have a career path and you can have a plan for yourself and then it can all just crumble, right? Let's say you finally found your dream job and then the company crumbled. I mean, the biggest fear and people don't realize that, that is fear of the unknown. It's the unpredictable, indescribable nature of life. We never know what's going to happen. We have this false sense of certainty and control in all areas, which makes love seem even more fleeting because you can't hold on to that. It's like this esoteric thing out there. But instead of putting that energy, all the negative things you just said, what if, what if, what if I'm, I don't find somebody, I end up all alone. By you saying that, you're creating a space for that. You're creating an energy. And it doesn't feel good mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Instead, I would rather you every time that fear comes in say, I am deserving of all good things simply because I exist. And of course, without a doubt, there is a person waiting for you on the other side of your fear. That should be your consciousness. Yeah. Absolutely. That is seriously, I love that. And we're supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know easier said than done. Right. No, but if that reading your book and just hearing you like glaze over the idea that is your book is like, there's going to be so much more knowledge and, and helpful tips in there. So remind everyone where they can find your book and where they can find you. So, um, my book, Fears on Option, is available on Amazon, and my website is rethinklife.today. I have a lot of articles on many different things there, and my Twitter and Instagram is at monicaberg74. Great. Awesome. And guys, don't forget to tune in next week for an all-new episode where we talk more dating and relationship stuff with renowned relationship coach and dating expert, Dr. Frankie. And if you want to join the class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show and head over to iTunes 
or wherever you get your podcasts to rate and comment on our show and tell a friend. That's right. And you can find me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meds. And Jen? You can find me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meds as well. All right. We'll be back next week for an all new show and we'll see you guys then. Love, Love you a long time. time. You're listening to It's Complicated. With your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 